Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now, here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish Steed. Welcome back to the At Work in America show. We have a great show today. We are going to be welcoming in a moment Liz O'Donnell from Working Daughter to talk about caregiving and trans- making that transition in managing work and caring for aging parents at the same time, which is a huge issue. And I know Trish is excited to talk about that issue as well. You're sort of getting into that space maybe a little too. Trish, how are you today? I'm good. And yes, I think this is something that I am personally starting to experience. So I'm excited just personally to get some tips and tricks and techniques. And But I think it's a topic that's really important, obviously, to the, the wider listening audience, both professionally and personally. So Yeah, it is. It's a great today. topic. We have not, I look back, we haven't talked about this in ages on the show. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're covering it now. Just before we welcome Liz, let's uh, thank our friends at Paychex. Of course, this episode of At Work in America is sponsored by our friends at Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. So I'm excited for, uh, we have a, a family member-ish kind of person, Trish, I won't name her, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm boarded on a new job, a summer job, and was excited to find out Paychex is her payroll provider. She's like using the Paychex app. She did her onboarding through Paychex. I heard very, very good things from her uh, personally about about that experience. So shout out to our friends at Paychex. You know, I love that too, because we always wonder how this up and coming generation of workers is experiencing not just technology in general, but HR technologies. And yes, to hear someone um, with an unsolicited opinion about, you know, a company that we feel is doing really great things. That was uh, a definite plus. Yeah, it was so good to hear. Out so to thanks, thanks to our friends at Paychex, of course. Okay, let's welcome our guest. Liz O'Donnell is the founder of Working Daughter, which supports women balancing elder care, career, and more. An award-winning writer, her book, Working Daughter, A Guide to Caring for Your Aging Parents While Earning a Living, was named one of the best books of the year by Library Journal. In 2020, she launched National Working Daughters Day. A longtime marketing executive and working mother, she is active in her community and committed to supporting other women. Liz, welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm excellent, and I'm always happy when people shine a light on this topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about. So thank you. No, our pleasure. I think we need to talk about it. Boy, Trish, I think you agree. <laughs> from some of the stories I've heard from you off the air, you know, they're, you know, again, I'm, we're, we're, we're joking slightly and you're not exactly doing caregiving right now, but you do have some, some aging parents and you're in this, this group with so many other working women and working people right now. Yes. You know, Liz, what I would just love to start off with is for you to tell us a little bit about how this became such an important topic to you. And Steve, to your point, it it is something that while you might not be full on in caregiving, it's certainly in our generation, something that you are definitely talking about, definitely trying to prepare yourself and your parents and or grandparents for, right? Many of us are caring for two generations um, older than us. So yes, Liz, we'd love to just kind of kick it off with your story and how this became such an important topic for you. Absolutely. And I will just say off the top, though, there are 40% of the family caregivers are working sons. So I don't 
want to exclude them. Um, I just yeah. tend to focus on and write for women, but there are a lot of men that are out there doing the same thing too. And, and it started because it happened to me. I was um, working in a marketing agency. So, you know, billable hours, mm-hmm. client demands, deadlines, had two young kids, middle school and elementary maybe. Um, and as a working mother, you think you're so busy and um, all of a sudden, I was just busier and busier and you don't really know why. And what was happening was what I call the caregiver creep that happens to so many people, which is your aging parents just start to need a little bit more and a little bit more um, from, you know, go down on Saturday and mow the lawn. Then they stop driving. Then it's trips to the grocery store and the doctor's appointment and sorting the pills in the plastic box every Sunday night. And um, it's just, it's something that you haven't made room for in your life that you don't even sort of realize is happening because you're just going along being a good daughter, right? You're not identifying as, oh, and now I'm an elder care provider. And so um, I went along like that until there was a crisis call, which is also a very common entry point. And for me, that crisis call resulted in both of my parents being diagnosed with terminal illnesses on the exact same day. One was in one hospital, one was in the other hospital. Oh my goodness. From one doctor appointment, before I even left the parking lot of that appointment where I heard my dad had Alzheimer's, I got a call from another hospital where my mom had been rushed with some stomach pain to find out it was stage four ovarian cancer. So I went from busy working mother with this caregiving creep kind of making me, you know, more and more stressed, more and more cranky um, to like full on chaos. Like, what do I do now? And so I vowed when I got to the other side of it, that no one would be as alone and as unprepared as I felt in that moment. Yeah, that's, I didn't realize that part of the backstory. I think that too, like, it's bad enough sort of having that creep, which which we all sort of are getting used to, because that happens slowly over time. But you're right, having a crisis moment, let alone two, and and to be quite frank, I mean, I've had people close to me with with Alzheimer's who that's a whole nother level of care, right? Trying to maybe when someone has good physical ability still, but certainly not the mental capacity, right? So you were dealing with two very different types of illness as well. Right. And so, yeah, so I would say so for the next six months after that day in my life, it was just, you know, as I said, chaos, I I prefer term hell, right, where it was like sorting through pills and bills and, you know, do they have wills and talking to two sets of doctors and trying to understand these diagnoses and what's the trajectory going to be and looking for a memory care facility because my, you know, now my mom is going to be dying in a few months. She opted not to be treated. And my dad has, you know, the early stages of this dementia. And so he's not going home. And so where do they live? And you know, signing expensive leases at living facilities. Um, and the well, there were many difficult things. I'm prone to say the hardest thing was this and the hardest thing was this, depending on what I'm talking about. But one of the hardest things was I was the breadwinner in our family. Uh, my husband and I had an arrangement. He was the stay-at-home dad, which was, as you can imagine, in this scenario, both a blessing and a curse. The blessing that I had a great support at home that a lot of working women don't, they are the support at home. Uh, the curse was as difficult as it was to show up for work, not just the logistics, but that was, you know, a challenge. Just getting to work was a challenge in these months, but caring about work, you know, truly facing life or death. And now I'm in these leadership team calls talking, talking about like, you know, strategic paradigms and parallel pathing. And I'm like, who cares? People are dying. Um 
but I couldn't not earn. So that was a huge challenge. Was back then, were there things that, you know, maybe you couldn't really bring to work? Could you talk about what was happening at home with your parents? Could you bring that to work? Were you in a situation where you felt supported or was it just you needed to make sure you did your 40 plus hours every week, got your billable hours in and all the things and kind of, did you have to keep everything separate at that time? I absolutely love that question. I did not feel like I could bring it to work. I actually had a very supportive boss. Our company was actually built and founded because she needed flexibility to care for a mother with cancer. So you would have thought I could have, and maybe I could have, but I didn't feel that way. There were new people in the company you know, there was some compet- internal competition for who was sitting at the leadership team table. Uh, so I felt ver- very vulnerable for the first time. You know, I was always sort of a gold star, get great reviews type of employee. And now all of a sudden I am on, you know, shaky ground. It was new in my career. Um, so there was that. I also knew that the supportive boss would have told me to take a leave of absence. And as the primary breadwinner, without a paid leave policy, I was terrified that she would say that because she was right. I probably should have taken a leave of absence, but I couldn't not get paid. So luckily I was able to, you know, string together this amazing and crazy flexible schedule. Um, so there was that, but then there was, you know, we were in a company, a small company, about half of us were over the age of 40 and half of us were under the age of 30. And so those under the age of 30, you know, this is not anything they had ever thought about, imagined or faced yet. And so Liz went from, you know, the dependable good worker to that person who's always leaving, flaking, taking personal calls at work. And I just really didn't feel like the workplace was the place to talk about, you know, disease, dying, dementia, depends. (laughs) And I still don't think that, you know, I mean, when someone has a baby, right, and and they work, people want to see the pictures and they might have a poll, you know, to, to raise money or, you know, have some competition around the size of the baby and when they're born and maybe throw a shower. These just aren't topics you talk about in the workplace. I have so many questions, obviously, that I'm like writing frantically. Liz, I, I think the one thing that strikes me too that maybe you can talk a little bit about is, you know, not only when you're a, a working parent, right, you're already caring for young ones uh, of whatever age, as you're starting to care for your elder parents and or grandparents, it's a time of life, especially, I don't want to exclude the men because you did mention, I'm glad you mentioned that, that many men are, are facing these issues too. But as a woman, you're also starting to go into potentially menopause yourself, right? So your body and you are going through changes, which also is a very stressful time of life working anyway, right? So trying to balance your own hormones and and moods and all of those things, stress of any kind does not aid in that endeavor. Could you talk a little bit either personally or from, you know, women now that you've, you've talked with over the the years of, of having this as a topic, like, does that really come into play too? sort of not taking care of yourself when you're trying to take care of everyone else? How does that impact this whole scenario? Yeah, it's a huge impact. And you know where else I think it impacts women is not just in the workplace, but in advocating and dealing with the medical personnel as well. You know, I was showing up to advocate for my parents. Um, and, you know, I got my MD at Google. I kind of know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, 
but I'm showing up in that entire, this all, you know, this, the, that I got those calls or those two appointments happened in the summer. So that entire summer I was showing up with, you know, wet hair pulled back into a ponytail, barely any makeup. If I had a client come in, you know, I might put on a little mascara, pretty much yoga pants and a shirt because I was that busy. I had a spread, an Excel spreadsheet that tracked everything I needed to do. And at its height, it had 196 items on it. So I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have that, oh no moment, you know, where I'd remember what was happening in my life. I'd open that spreadsheet and I'd highlight the things that had to happen that day. So, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, not eating healthy. It was, I really felt I didn't have the time to shower. And if I did shower, because you kind of have to, um, you know, there was no time to get dressed or dry my hair. So you're showing up in these professional situations where you need to have some sense of authority and you just look like, and for me, I felt like this middle-aged frumpy woman who was like, whose career was like crumbling before her eyes. I used to show up, you know, in a suit and feel confident. And now <clears throat> I was existing on, you know, I'd wake up, I'd start drinking coffee. I'd go to the office, I'd, start, I'd need more caffeine because I wasn't sleeping well. So then it's Diet Coke. And then it was the vending machine because there was no time for lunch. So yeah, the and and the distractions. So yeah, it's very concerning. And the average family caregiver is a woman. She is in her late forties or early fifties. So this is a time when um, a lot is happening for us, right? We are, you know, potentially facing menopause or perimenopause. We are in those max earning years where where I was acutely aware if I stepped out. Um, was anybody going to bring me back? Does anybody care if the 50 something woman comes back to the office or not? Um, so there are all of these things that were, at least for me, were playing in my head. And I see it play out. We have a community of, you know, about 10,000 women who are in a Facebook group, private Facebook group, where they can just lean on each other, share stories, know that they're not alone. And we hear this play out quite a bit, these concerns. Liz, yeah, and at the same time, right, you may be, and in your case, I think you you, you were, as you mentioned it, you've got your own children, right, your own things going on with them, and go, maybe they're going through high school or getting into, uh, they're doing all their activities, and whether it's sports or arts or who knows what, right, because we've, we've also been through that, right, where once you, you've got a couple of kids who are, you're running around all over town, right, trying to help them, right, at the same time, so that real, they, they call it the squeeze or the sandwich or the vice maybe is a better analogy. The for, sandwich, right? Yeah, the yeah what's laugh. happening yeah. to caregivers in this situation <laughs> is a very real thing. Uh, Liz, I think maybe then we, we, you talked a little bit about your experience at the, the job you had then and, and what you were able to maybe to bring to, to that, to the workplace, uh, what was happening in your in your personal life with the caregiving situation. What, what are some... What are some things, whether it's tips, advice, I know I'm certain the book talks about this, um, what can we do to try to help advocate for ourselves, perhaps? Maybe that we'll start there because it sounds like to me, uh, people who are in this situation who want to still, you know, keep that career going and want to achieve, want to succeed, want to be there for their for their work. What are some of the things you can do to try to begin to bring some sense of management to this chaos? Yeah, great, great question. And I think um Caregiving isn't, or elder care isn't always the time to achieve at work, but it is certainly, I mean, unless your retirement is set for, you know, to live to 90 or 103, which we're doing now, right, then it's definitely the time to stay in the game. I, you know, I, I worry about women who do step out. 
Um, I understand why they want to. I did. But until, unless we're set for that retirement in our own long term care, you know, I really encourage women to stay in, even if it looks messy like it didn't before. But it may not be the time to achieve. And maybe it is. But if you're in, you know, one of those sort of acute situations with um, the chaos that I was talking about, then I think it's OK to recognize that sometimes we do our most important work outside of the office you know, and outside of our professional lives. And that's okay. And we are probably in it for the long haul. Um, people are working longer. We do have second and third acts. So don't beat yourself up if, you know, your career isn't looking the way it did, but don't give up. I think one of the messages I, I always give to women um, is don't consider your life on hold. I hear this all the time. Like, oh, my life as I knew it is over. My career as I knew it is older, you know, but that, that danger of waiting until I became a caregiver four times over. So if any one of those moments I had stepped out of the workplace, I, I shudder to think where I would be now. So there are a few things we can do to get organized around caregiving because it's likely inevitable for most people. We live in this rapidly aging society where 10,000 people are turning 65 every single day. So if you can get organized around, I say these three categories, medical, financial and um, living, then you're ahead of the game. And if you're already in it and you haven't, don't despair. Lots of people come into this in the middle of a crisis and they figure it out. So I don't, but for those who are looking at it, it's starting, they have parents. If I have some checklists. So if you can, you know, understand your parents' finances, start to have those conversations, know that there's a power of attorney maybe get um, co-signee on their checks and know what their passwords are and their assets because caregiving and aging are expensive. So that's one bucket. The next is around the medical. You know, Do you know who your parents' primary cares are? Do you know if they're seeing specialists? Do you know their, you know, have a list of their medications and ideally why they're taking them? You're gonna be way ahead of the game. Have a healthcare proxy. And if you can have a conversation with your parents about not just their end of life wishes. Um, you know, we always used to talk about the the DNR, the do not resuscitate um, as sort of a yes, no. But now there are these advanced directives that, that your parents or you can fill out with your primary care. Like if I needed a tube, would I want a tube? If I needed oxygen, would I need oxygen? Having those conversations before the crisis just give you such a better sense and I know a lot of people find these conversations daunting and scary and our parents don't want to have them. I tell people to view it almost like you'd view going in and asking for a raise. Like we never, I don't think we should expect to go in and say, hey, boss, I want 10%. And the boss says, okay, Liz, here you go. It's like, well, here's what's going on with the company. And I'd like you to come back and share with me why. And it's a, it's a series of conversations. The same thing has to happen with our elderly parents because not all of them are in the mindset that they want to think about end of life, but it's truly a gift when you can. And then that third bucket for preparation, I would say is around housing because so many people get to caregiving, go to move their parents into some kind of senior living facility and are shocked that most senior living arrangements are private pay. I guess we just sort of go along. We don't talk about this enough. And I don't know, we just think it's subsidized by the government or elves or I don't know who, but so much um, of, you know, assisted living and uh, memory care that's private pay and it's really expensive and understanding which facilities provide what kind of care or what it takes to age at home. So I think preparing those three areas and then on the workplace, I'd say, you know, if you 
don't work in a team, can you find a way to start, you know, building a team at work so that there's always some someone CC'd? Ne this is a tiny thing, but never save anything on your personal hard drive. Put it in the Google Drive or the company server. Work so that you might get an emergency call and then make it easy for your coworkers to have your back. I love all of those tips. There are many that I hadn't even begun to consider. So thank you for, for that. Um, one question that kind of popped in my mind as you were going through those, Liz, is, you know, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine recently who's taking care of someone um, who's elderly and starting to have medical, nothing terminal, but definitely where this person feels like they have to care for their parent at 24 seven. And my question is, and I don't want this to sound mean, but many of us are from a generation where we were raised kind of on our own, like go outside, play, keep yourself busy. Our parents were not all about us necessarily. They weren't there caring for us like we now care for our children, right? They're not there to hold our hand every minute. My question is this. I very Gen X kind of set up here. I was just going to say, I see you, my fellow Gen Xers. I see yeah. you. <laughs> I know, but, but so, and I, I struggle with this. I love my parents dearly, but there's part of me where I struggle like, wait a minute. I didn't get constant care, right? As I was growing up, I kind of took care of myself quite a bit. And now why is it that I'm feeling pressured to care for you personally, me care for you at all times. And what I was talking with this person, this is where I'd love your perspective. This person felt like he had to personally care for his mother in her situation. And I said, I think as a, a child of someone who's going through these things, it's certainly right to maybe arrange care, but you don't have to personally provide the care. So I'd love to get your perspective on that. I feel like that's where I'm sort of building in my own life is I'm here to make sure my parents have care. Some of it will come from me. Some of it will not come from me because they're not my children, right? So like, where do you stand on that? What do you tell people? Like, it's, I feel like it's a pull. This is the best question of the year. I am so <laughs> glad you went there. Um, and that's part of why I created Working Daughter is because when I was going through it, so my crisis happened in 2014. And when I would Google, you know, for help and support the other caregiving websites, I describe them as they were all unicorns and butterflies. And even if you look at it, do a Google search for like elder care or older woman and, you know, adult daughter, mm -hmm. they are the images that the marketing and the media serve up around this topic are all um, just like that whole concept of like, what a blessing to care for those who cared for you. What a blessing. And I was going through it in my mind. I'm like, it's hell. It's a burden. It's hard. And I quickly learned that you never use the burden B word. That was like the worst thing you could say. And so then you start to internalize. I, I started to think I was the only one who had these logical, you know, thought processes like you just described. And then that just adds to this immense guilt. Like I must be the only monster who's thinking this way. So that's it. My stance on this is that caregiving is a choice. And sometimes people who are going through caregiving in our own community get upset with me when I say that, you know, like, Liz, you think I chose for my mother to have stage four cancer and my dad to have, you know, be diagnosed with dementia on the same day? Of course not. Nobody chooses, you know, to see people in, in their own families and circles go through these things. However, 
showing up for them is a choice. And I, I think that's important for two reasons. One, for those who do choose to show up, there's so much we can't get to as caregivers because we have our own lives, because we haven't made space for this, because we have to go to work, because you know our society hasn't caught up with the needs of an aging society. Inevitably, we're going to feel like we're not doing a great job. So rather than sort of go to bed every night, and if you're you know a woman of my age, you're waking up at two a.m. and you know the the thought spiral is gloom and doom. Rather than spend that time thinking about everything you didn't do, when you frame caregiving as a choice, maybe you change that conversation in your head to but I did this and I did this. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason I think it's so important to frame it as a choice. The second is we have something on the Working Daughter website we call the Working Daughter Bill of Rights. And in it, it says, nowhere is it written that someone else's life is more important than your own. So our parents, assuming, you know, sound mind and no cognitive decline, because that's a, that's a different scenario. Sure. They made choices, right? They made choices that got them where the, to where they were in the world then we have a choice how we respond to that. Yeah. You know, oftentimes we have parents who say, you know, who, who clearly are not able to keep up with say home ownership, right? And, and living in a large home, going up two flights of stairs, driving anymore, whatever it might be. But they're not having any other help. They only want daughter and they're not moving into one of those senior living facilities. That is their choice again assuming no cognitive decline. They're making that sound mind choice. So as the daughter or son, we then get to choose how we respond to that. Well, okay, mom, but I'm not taking you to the, the grocery store every week. You know, I'll help you set up Peapod or, or Instacart or whatever it is today, right? Um, but you are making a choice and I get to respond to that choice. I think it's really, really healthy and really, really important because our lives value are, you know, are a value as well. So why would we have our lives collapse because someone else is making choices just because they happen to be over the age of 75 or 80, right? And then we decide how we want to be as a daughter or a son. And it may end up that we want to do everything possible to make, you know, support their lives. And then that's a choice as opposed to a should. I think that's really important. Thank you for saying that. I feel like you're my therapist because I do feel <laughs> better. I mean, I, you hit on, you hit on the guilt, you hit on uh, capability too. Like I, I think that, you know, if I think of the reverse, if I think about my children who are now in college, but even when they were little, you know, if your child is struggling at school in a, in chemistry and you don't understand chemistry, you don't know chemistry, your job isn't to teach yourself chemistry to teach your child chemistry, right? We wouldn't even do that. That sounds silly we would go find a tutor, right? So I sort of am trying to walk myself through feeling like, okay, just because they need care of a certain kind, like you gave the Instacart example, or, and maybe it's something else. Maybe it's someone to come in and see them and visit with them or whatever, right? Um, so I think it's one thing to, to give yourself permission to help arrange care, but you don't have to personally be the caregiver 24 seven. And I think that's where I'm hearing people my age struggle Right. Because you feel like, often, oh, well, we're also often not qualified. And one of the other heartbreaking yes. things you hear often is the daughter or the son who says, I just want to be the daughter of the son again. But there's no time because if you're working five days a week and you have kids who are going to all the activities that you mentioned, Steve, and then you go yeah. to visit your parents because you want to visit your parents because you want to still have that, you know, adult child parent relationship. But you have to run the errands, clean their apartment do the small, you know, medical tasks. 
sometimes it's the more, you know, it, you're providing a better quality of care sometimes when you do bring in outside options. I always say that, uh, you know, try to approach it with equal parts, courage and compassion, right? The compassion to understand that this is happening to your parent and aging is scary, mm -hmm. but the courage to say, okay, and here's what I think is the best situation. Liz, I have a question, which is, I, I, you know, you maybe can educate us and then maybe sort of give your opinion as well, which is what, sh what are organizations doing more broadly? What are they doing or what should they be doing to support employees who are in these situations, these caregiving situations? Are, are there formal benefits that are carved out? Are there policies that are being uh, created for this? Should there be like what's happening at the, the organizational level? Because that's often what we talk a lot about on the show is what companies are doing to respond to whether it's diversity initiatives, whether it's, you know, recruiting from underserved communities, whether it's getting veterans back to work, things like that. We, we do take an organizational lens through a lot of these topics. I'd love for you to comment a little bit about what companies or organizations are doing. I'll start with my opinion because clearly I have plenty. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said should organizations be helping? Yes, I think they should um, because caregivers are the fastest growing employee group. And um, it's not just that woman in her late 40s or 50s anymore. 25% of all family caregivers are millennials. So more and more people are coming to this sooner and are likely to do it more than once. You know, you think of your in-laws, you think of divorce and step-parents. So, you know, we're more likely to go through it multiple times. So yes, I think they should. What are companies doing? So um, across the board, we're seeing mostly, um, you know, flexibility and that is the number one request of caregivers, um, you know, the flexibility to change your hours, to work from home, to have hybrid situations. I know that that conversation is blowing up right now in the news of companies that are um, requiring people to return to work, but think about the caregiver in that scenario. Um, so flexibility is the number one request and probably the number one, um, I guess, support that you see companies offering caregivers. More and more companies are offering like these caregiver concierge services through their benefits packages, which I think are fantastic companies like Wealthy is one um, where you go to HR, you say, you know, mom and dad need more help. I don't know what to do. And they will, through the benefits package, um, hook you up with a care concierge. And that person helps you find a home health aid and figure out, you know, the best prices for the supplies that you need. And I think those services are fantastic. We just at Working Daughter, we just surveyed our community and we had about, I'd say close to 800 people respond. Flexibility was their number one request. And the other thing in the top three that I thought was interesting was um, financial planning. So caregiving is expensive and help me employer, you know, figure out how to pay for the care that I need to find for my parents and then help me think about it for me because when I retire, you know, it's going to happen for me. So I thought that was a really interesting um, item to float to the top three, help me with financial planning, but also these care concierge support services. And then seeing companies do, um, you know, all kinds of interesting things like um, have home health or home um, living assessments. So my mom does want to age at home and my company pays for someone to go into her home and say, okay, we need to add a ramp here or widen the doors for a wheelchair, or add, you know, uh, grab bars in the restroom. So 
there's so many different things and, and there's not really any sort of uniform way right now um, that we're seeing companies. In fact, the SHRM data, you know, they do the, the benefit survey every year shows that elder care benefits sadly are down slightly mm. year year, which is frustrating. But then there are pockets of companies that are really doing some innovative things. So I'm frustrated and hopeful that we'll see more yeah. of this. But the number one thing is talk about it. Too many companies, I think, talk about parents who, uh, I mean, workers who are parents, but they also need to talk about workers with parents so that that caregiver does know that there's support and that they're not the only one who's going through it. Yeah, weirdly, because not every employee has children to look after, but we all have parents, I think, right? I think that's how that works. (laughs) Some point, yeah. The biology of it, yeah. (laughs) So it does make sense. Yeah. I have a question for you along the lines of you were talking about talking about it at work. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on, okay, what do you say to your children if you have children, right? Because I do feel like um, I was just talking with my mother this morning and, you know, I said, my goodness, you never talked about, I don't know, sex education or just we were talking about the Me Too movement and there was never any talk about, you know, how to protect yourself or what to think about, right? So that generation typically did not talk to us, a, a Gen Xers, about anything really, right? And so we had to figure it out. So my question now is, as I'm raising, I have uh, twins who are 19, boy and a girl, and we talk a lot about it because they're seeing me going through this, right? So I'm sharing and being open about it, but I'm also kind of talking to them about, okay, when I get older, I'm going to make sure let's work together now, basically when I'm 52 and you're 19 at planning, how is this going to play out in 30 years? Are you seeing any of that? I mean, that might be a little reaching, but is there something we can be doing to help coach our children to be better with us and for us to be better to them when the time comes? Absolutely. Um, In the working daughter community, you hear this all the time. I am never going to do this to my children. And it's usually someone who is scrambling to figure out, you know, their parents' finances, their parents' medical wishes, who had no warning and planning. And so that's a refrain that you hear all the time from those of us who've gone through it. I will never put my children through this. And so there, you know, yes, those conversations are so, so important and they are a gift when they happen between parent and child, because then you have some framework for this life experience that we are often thrust into with absolutely no warning. I think for our generation, um, elder care is somewhat of a surprise for so many of us. I had, um, I never grew up seeing caregiving. I grew up playing with baby dolls. You know, I love to play with baby dolls when I was little. And you kind of imagine like, oh, someday I'll be a mommy and this is what it'll be like. I had none of that sort of foresight and thinking when it came to elder care. And it wasn't that my parents probably, they probably would have stepped up to care for their parents, but all four grandparents died of some kind of quick cardiac event at 80. You know, that just runs in the family. My Both of my parents had also had cardiac issues, but one lived to 91 and one lived to 84 because, you know, there are so many advances in health and science. So people are living longer, therefore likely living with chronic illnesses. But we, you know, our generation didn't necessarily witness it because people didn't live as long. People didn't live with the same illnesses. Illnesses had different trajectories. So I think now our children do have the gift, if you will, of seeing us pulling out our hair and going through it. But um, 
we're only setting them up. So right across from me in my office is a big, big black uh, leather bag. Of course, I had to buy something pretty to go on my, uh, you know, my work credenza. But my kids know that in there is the binder with um, the will, you know, the power of attorney, the healthcare proxy. They know who to call in the event anything, ha you know, I've got the friend who's my healthcare proxy, the cousin who's the power of attorney. You know, they knew that they had... Um, you know, an aunt who was set up as guardian in the event anything happens. I mean, it's not anything anybody wants to talk about, but I think they know I don't want, you know, money spent on a big funeral and, you know, all of right. those kinds of things. And, I, you know, they're 18 and 20, and I think it's just helpful for them to know. Um, they know that, you know, I don't want them to, um, you know, worry about assisted living or, or, you know, what what my living arrangements will be and that sort of thing. And then, Every now and then when I get on their nerves, you know, they look at me and they're like nursing home tomorrow, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we have these healthy, sometimes funny conversations, you know, about. I, well, I think what you just said is a good tip for anybody listening, right? Whatever age you are, make sure whether it's in a nice leather, uh, you know, attache case or whatever, right? Have a binder where everything is located or something online that people have access to who's handling what I, it, I, I feel like that alone would take pressure off. And maybe if you don't have that with your own parents or your grandparents, now's the time to start, right? Compiling that information. You're saying all of this. I, I definitely don't have that in my situation with my parents, right? It's, it's all scattered and, and all around. So yeah, I think that's the else, right? takeaway. Just Right. If nothing else, just begin to start being a little more open, trying to have these conversations, whether they're at work, whether they're in your personal life with your kids. I mean, yeah, I'd agree, Liz. Like so often we just don't want to talk about it because it's unpleasant. No one wants to think about it. It's hard to go up to an uh, an, age, an older parent, right? And say, let's talk about your uh, impending illness your and demise, mom, yeah. right? Like, but if you don't do it right, then you're going to end up with a lot more difficulties potentially, then um, it's going to be difficult enough, right? Just having a parent get ill, if, yeah. if, right? That's hard yeah. on its own, right? And, yeah. and, and the one thing I would say is, you know, try to frame it more around possibility than loss. Um, you know, so mom, dad, as you get older, have you thought about what's important to you? Have you thought about, you know, what your quality, what you want, you know, this next phase of your life to look like? So you're not saying like, hey, you know, you can't live here forever. You got to move out of this house or, hey, you're going to die, right? But like, what's important to you in this stage of life, mom and dad? What's important to you later? And maybe they don't want to talk about it. So you kind of push to the brink and you pull back and you bring <laughs> it up again. Maybe you'll never get there. You know, people are funny, but um, if you do, the little, you know, any little bit you gain and learn, especially that later, if you're in that crisis situation, if you're in the ER at three in the morning and you're already overwhelmed, you have some basis to kind of say, okay, I got this, you know, I've got a grounding. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I love that you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I think it applies kind of now to what you're talking about is the, the ability to have a choice, right? The parent has the choice and you as the daughter or son you then have a choice on how you respond. Um, I, I don't know if you hear of this often, but this this has come up in my family and it, it continues to come up. So when you have, so I have a grandfather that lives in another state and when it came time for him to go into uh, you know, a care facility, he chose one in that state. He didn't wanna leave even that state. And so it, it led to a conversation of, well, that's fine. You're going to have care then, 
but we can't get there very often. We just can't. You're making a choice to stay where you are, but we also have to have a response. I can't feel guilty that I can't get down there and see you every month, right? Um, that's really difficult. And then now I'm finding my parents are sort of doing the same thing. They want to stay in their state, which is not the state that I'm going to be in. So <laughs> how do you navigate though, both maybe the guilt of that, um, as well as the logistics? I know you, you talk a lot in the book about having those difficult conversations. You've given us some techniques. What about if you have a parent that just kind of digs in like, this is the way it's going to be, right? I'm this parent, I'm staying put. Yeah. Again, have that conversation. I would make sure there's no cognitive decline because that changes the scenario. And, you know, one thing that I don't think people understand about dementia is that the progression isn't linear. So sometimes people now they're just being obstinate. You know, yesterday they could tie their shoes and today they can't. Well, that's actually how the you know disease progresses. So just assuming that there was a logical, you know, if 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 you assume some cognitive decline, just because there was a logical conversation one day doesn't mean there's going to be the next. So I'm taking that off the table, but you know, just throwing that out there. So, but if there's no cognitive decline and this parent's just digging in, like, this is my home, this is where I live and so be it. I do think we need to respect that. I mean, I don't know if either of you are parents, but I think most of us, you know, in the parental role, including our parents, we want to protect our children, right? We don't want to be a burden on our children. And so, and we see that coming. And so maybe they're making this decision because, they really want to stay in that parental role, you know, up until the very end. It's why you often hear um, of parents who maybe are on hospice and are transitioning in death and the adult children are sitting there in the room and the parent won't die. And <laughs> the, 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 you know, and the, the adult child or the family member goes to make a phone call or use the restroom. And that's when the parent, I, I really think they want to protect, you know, not all parents, right. But many parents, they're in that parental protection role up until the very last second. So um, you might want to, you know, scream and say, this is going to be more difficult for me. I recognize that maybe you think you're doing the right thing for me, but you're actually like, this means all of my vacations are now going to be in Nebraska or wherever. Right. They, right? <laughs> so, hey, thanks. Thanks for supporting. Uh, awful place. Yes. <laughs> oh, stop never, I've never been. I've never been. It's um, so lovely. <laughs> um. So it's frustrating. And we're talking about people who've lived their entire life, you know, as adults who have the right to make these choices, who are choosing their autonomy over everything else. And then that's again, where your choices come into play, um, you know, where you really have to soul search, right? When you do plan that next vacation, do I go to Nebraska? Cause I haven't seen mom and dad. Cause they made this choice that, you know, I still want to throttle for, or do I feel fine and take the kids to Cape Cod? I mean, but you you really you're gonna have to do some soul searching around that like what what kind of daughter do I want to be what's going to feel okay it's not easy it's not easy they have the autonomy and there's an excellent book that you may have read being mortal Mm -mm. um Kawandi wrote the book he's a um well he's a New York Times bestseller he's also a um surgeon at he was at Boston's Brigham and Women's I don't know if he's still there and the book being mortal is all is a surgeon's view of this rapidly aging society and looking at quality of life. And he talks a lot. And for me, that was like a aha moment in reading his book that oftentimes as adult children, we're motivated by keeping our parents safe and trying to keep our lives neat. But we also have to recognize these adults earned their autonomy and we have to respect that. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that perspective because we're not their parent. Right. It's not our job to be their parent. I also hadn't considered 
when you're talking about maybe they're doing what they're doing to protect us. I hadn't really considered it that way. So thank you for just giving me a little, me and the listeners, a little extra nugget to sort of think of it from a different angle. That's really helpful. This is fantastic stuff. I thought at the beginning of this, we could probably go for hours on it. I think maybe you even said that we could talk for hours, but we probably could. We probably shouldn't. We should probably let you go and, and let our listeners go as well. But I do want to say this. Um, the website is fantastic. It's workingdaughter.com. And I was reading like, even just like the, the right on that, on, on the homepage there, like the 14 tips, right. To sort of help navigate these things. And half of them were about just sort of forgiving yourself. I thought mm-hmm. like just giving yourself the space to, yeah, don't feel like you've got to be super person or super woman, right. Don't feel like you've got to do everything for everybody. Do what you can both at work, at home, for your parents, for your own kids. And and get through that. And I just thought that was one of the big messages I'm taking away from both this conversation and from the, some of the resources at workingdaughter.com. So thank you, Liz, uh, for that. And and maybe for folks who want to find you, workingdaughter.com is the website, but uh, you mentioned your Facebook group, your LinkedIn as well. Maybe maybe give that those a shout out real quick. Well, it must be my marketing background, but everything is branded Working Daughter. So <laughs> Working Daughter on Facebook, workingdaughter.com, but the workingdaughter.com site will take you to you know the book, the Facebook group, all of that. So yeah, yeah. Awesome stuff. This has been fantastic. Trish, hopefully you, your therapy session was positive. And Liz, send the bill right to Trish directly, please. That's right. Please bill me. It's worth it. No, I'm, I'm look, we, we have lots of different uh, shows over the years. The last four, we just celebrated 14 years of Steve yeah. starting this podcast. So um, I think I, I mean this with all sincerity, this is one of the most helpful, both personally, professionally. And I think other people are going to feel the same please go check out Liz's book. I think it's, you know, if it's something you're starting through or if you're right in the middle of, it's going to be a helpful tool to even, again, give you some different perspective on your own personal situation because we get very wrapped up in what we're, our our past relationships with these people, right? So it's hard to uh, kind of step back sometimes and see the bigger picture. So thank you for sharing that and, uh, and all the tips. And thank you for your personal story and, that that's um, super impactful. Thank you both. Um, you know, I'm always grateful to anyone who will talk about this topic because it's so important. And I think you asked some of the best questions ever. Awesome. Like, yes. Well, Liz, thank you so <laughs> much. So great to meet you. Love the conversation. Workingdaughter.com is the website. Trish, thank you for sharing a lot of your story as well on the show today. Um, it's just been great stuff. Really great topic. I'm glad we're able to do it. Please do visit hrhappyhour.net, of course, for all the show archives to subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course, once again. And thanks, uh, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been At Work in America. My name is Steve Bose. Uh, for Trish McFarland, for our guest, Liz O'Donnell. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. And bye for now.